Now, I'd like to have someone share with us or you have a question or something that we've studied that has really been, uh, has impressed you. Uh, let's see what happens. Yes. Our, our first study was based on the statement that in order to understand what is comprehended in the work of education, we need to understand two things. What is that? Nature. The nature of man and what? God's purpose in his creation. And you touched it. God's purpose in the creation of man. Human beings were, were created what? Now, you have to talk a little louder. I'm a little hard of hearing, and because so I, if I hear, I know the rest of the folks can. They were created with beings with what kind of possibility development? Do you really believe that? That's what it says, isn't it? That the longer man lived, the longer he would what? Man was made in a very special way to be the dwelling place of God. Now, all created beings are have God in them, but man in a real special way. Because the the whole genius of the gospel is summed up in about five words. Christ in you, the what? The hope of glory. All right, that's good. You were impressed with the fact that we were born to be kings and queens. You see, the people from this earth are ordained and were ordained from their very creation to be a special people. A special destiny, a special purpose. And Satan knew that, and so he started out from the beginning to do what? To try to frustrate the creation. Now, I don't think I gave you this reference. I think that you'll be interested in this, right, in connection with that. Now, you folks will be thinking, I'm not going to do all the talking, I'll tell you that. In uh, Steps to Christ, did you ever hear this book? You know, I, uh, I tell people a lot of times, Steps to Christ is the book that we give away. And more than we keep. In the second chapter of Steps to Christ, first paragraph, on my book it's page 17, and they're, they're, not, all, uh, they're not all pages alike. I want you to notice this paragraph. Man was originally endowed with noble powers and a well-balanced mind. He was perfect in his being and in harmony with God. His, thought, his thoughts were pure, his aims holy. But by disobedience, his power, powers were perverted and selfishness took the place of love. What the place of love? His nature became so weakened through transgression that it was impossible for him in his own strength to resist the power of evil. It was the tempter's purpose to thwart the divine plan in man's creation. What did Satan want to do? And fill the earth with woe and desolation, and he would point to all this evil as a result of God's work in creating man. He's saying, God, you shouldn't have created man in the first place. He's the whole problem. But sin has a real strange characteristic, and it's always the same. Sin always works in the same way. It always blames someone else for the problem. This is a characteristic of sin. Did you ever have that problem? Any of you ever blame God for your problem? You see, we studied that God had absolute control of circumstances. Didn't we study that? And if God has control of circumstances and we begin to complain against them, what are we complaining about? Complaining about God. And we're blaming actually God for what? For what, what happens to us. All right, the basic thought then was that we are created to be sons and daughters of the king, to be members of the royal family. You see, Jesus, in his birth, as a divine human being, he was the son of God, he was also the son of Mary. And this was a new race of beings, a combination of what? Of God and man. And through the new birth, through Christ, you and I are born into that family. It's a new race of beings. And they're going to be the connecting link between God and the universe through all eternity. Divine human beings. The Bible calls us what? Sons and daughters of God. We're partakers of what? Divine. Of the divine nature. And it's this power that gives us what? The ability to have victory over sin. You know, there's another statement in, in the book Mount of Blessing. 
and this is in the preface. I think you'll be interested in this, too. I didn't read this. You know, we, we haven't even touched this subject. Have you, have you folks found anything about what we're studying as you've been reading? Have you been finding anything along the things we've been studying? When you once begin to understand, it opens up everywhere, doesn't it? Every time you read, here's something new. Well, Ellen G. White wrote the introduction to one book. And if you know who, what book that is? Great Controversy. And don't ever read Great Controversy without reading the introduction. She wrote a preface to one book. Do you know what book that is? Out of Blessing. Uh, she wrote the preface to Mount of Blessing, and she wrote the introduction to Great Controversy. The preface of, of Mount of Blessing has some very interesting statements in it. I won't read all of it, but I'll read a little bit of it. It says, Christ can look upon the misery of the world. This is the, this is the last two paragraphs, or this is second from the last paragraph. Christ can look upon the misery of the world without a shade of sorrow for having created man. Isn't that an amazing statement? Christ can look upon this horrible situation we're in without a what? Without a shade of sorrow. You know why? In the human heart, he sees more than sin and more than misery. Aren't you glad of that? In his infinite wisdom and love, he sees man's possibilities, the height to which he may attain. He knows that even though human beings have abused their mercies and destroyed their God-given dignity, yet the Creator is to be glorified in their redemption. You know, it's according to how much of Jesus we have in us as to what we can see. I'm not sure if I can find this statement. When we were over in West Virginia, uh, the Myers and my daughter and her husband and, uh, and my wife and I used to have worship together, and our worship consisted in, share, in sharing with each other the uh, things that we had gotten in our morning de in our morning devotions and we had some very interesting statements uh, I don't know where this statement is I know what book it's in but I didn't I didn't mark it I usually put it in the index I don't know why I didn't but I'll tell you what it says I wish I could find it uh, maybe this is something for you to be looking up I wish I could find it because I don't like to make statements without but here's what it said. It said, True affection enables us to overlook the faults of others. True, true love keeps us from seeing them. Yeah, can you find it? Good. It's a very interesting statement. True affection enables us to what? Overlook the faults of others. Oh, you have it right there. Well, good. I have it marked, but I, I didn't put it in my index. Well, I didn't say it just right. Well, anyway, this is what it says. It says, true affection will overlook many mistakes. Love will not discern them. <laughs> Page 47. What? Did you get that? Adventist home. True affection will overlook many mistakes. Love will not discern them. Page 47. That's a pretty strong statement. Did you know that? That's why God looks on us and doesn't see the sin. God looks upon us and doesn't see the sin. What does he see? Did you notice what this says? And read this again. I want you to see what's inside this. Christ can look upon the misery of the world without a shade of sorrow for having created man. In the human heart, he sees more than sin, more than misery. In his infinite w wisdom and love, he sees man's possibilities, the height to which he may attain. He knows that even though human beings have abused their mercies and destroyed their God-given dignity, yet the Creator is to be glorified in their redemption. Greatest miracle that will ever be manifested in this world is not the creation of the world. It's not in healing sick. It's in a changed life. Yes? Well, <laughs> I just said the greatest miracle. Now, I can read your statements. In fact, I'll read you, I'll read you a statement in Desire of Ages. I think, uh, I think I can find that one. You understand, when, when we're doing this, I, I can't turn to all these because uh, as these thoughts come, I, I, it takes a little time. But I said the greatest miracle was not creating the world. The greatest miracle is not in healing people. The greatest miracle is in a changed life. You know why? You see, God deals with miracles. He doesn't do the things we can do. He deals with miracles all the time. And you know why a changed life is such a miracle? Because God has to fight us all the time to do it. Because we're pretty well satisfied the way we are until we get in trouble. And then as soon as we get out of trouble, we say, Lord, don't bother me anymore. And so what does he have to continue to do? Keep us in trouble, sure. 
Am I talking a foreign language to you? Folks, do you think this is a part of education? What is education? What is it? To restore in man what? The image of his creator. Yeah. Now, I can't hear you. Yes. Well, I, I don't remember that statement, but I, I, it probably is. Uh, let me see if I can find this one I was just telling you about. Uh, what did I do with my... Oh, here's what I'm looking for. We were talking about miracles. Now, here I'm doing all the talking, and I was going to let you do talking. You know, I... Uh, but while I'm finding that, some somebody... And it has something to say. Why, well, I'll give you an opportunity now. I think I can, I'll hope I can find this statement. I think one of the most important things that I've learned so far, and, and the next thing we came to, and that was the source of education. Uh, start out in education, page 13, we just take time for the Lord. Without, without Him, well, we didn't establish, first of all, that education is the same thing as redemption. Uh, the purposes of education and the purpose of redemption and the purpose of life and all of is really the same thing as about page 17 of education. Mm -hmm. uh, in the source of education, I find more and more as I've tried to apply this to my own life in Isaiah 50, verse 4, he wakes me from my one and gets my ear to curse the This has been something that you look up some people that I've only begun to chat. But the source of education is uh, how the Lord wants to speak to us. Good. I might give you a, uh, just give you an assignment here because that's very interesting because our next class, and I, I'd like to have you do some research on this because really I don't, uh, uh, I just don't want to impart. I want you folks, if, if in this class you haven't learned to go to the sources yourself and get it, this class will have been a waste of time to any one of you that don't do that. Do you understand what I'm talking about? What should I give here? You won't remember. I know that. But if it will inspire you to dig, and as it's just been said, to go to the Lord yourself, especially in the morning. This is the time when the Lord wants us. This, this, is, this is prime time. And we need to, become, to get in the habit where the Lord, before we meet anyone, we, we meet God. Remember, the king says, I will call on you every what? morning. He makes a personal call on us every morning. Through the Holy Spirit and Jesus, of course, is the is the one who uh, who works in our hearts. The Father is above all. The, uh, the all the heavenly agencies work together. Well, this isn't a statement that I that I uh, had uh, thought. Uh, there is a statement that says the greatest of all miracles is a is a changed life. But this statement is is really almost more astounding than that one. This is page 120 of Desire of Ages. But that which is greater than all miracles, which is what? Then this is what this is not the greatest miracle, but what? But that which is greater than all miracles, a firm reliance in a thus saith the Lord was a sign that could not be convert controverted. This is amazing. The greatest miracle, what is greater than all miracles is what? Just to believe what God says. Did you know all the tests? that have ever come to human beings have come on the basis of whether we believe God or not. You see, a lot of people think that back in Noah's time, the problem was going in the ark. It wasn't. That wasn't any problem at all. What was the problem? Well, God could have got people into the ark. You know what he'd have to do? Just had a little shower and it had just been all over it, wouldn't it? Sure. He could have got people in the ark. The problem was what? They're believing that God had said that there was going to be a flood and that they believed that it would have a flood. And how, what's that? This is page 120, 120 of the Desire of Ages. So the great test in, in Noah's day was what? God says there's going to be a flood. And how many people believed it? Eight people? That wasn't very many out of a pop, world population, was it? Now, God has said some things that are going to happen today. Is that right? Do you know who, who is the ones who are going to be able to, to be saved through these things? Those who believe what is coming... Believe it enough to get ready for it before it comes. A lot of people uh, are going to start running when it starts raining. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when he finished it all up, it said, These people that hear these words of mine and what? Do them are like a man that what? On the rock. 
And anyone that hears these words of mine and what? Is like a man that what? And I tell you folks, it really came as a shocker to me when I realized that the houses were built before the, before the storm came. No house building then. They're done. When the storm comes, we've already decided where we're going to build our house. You can't build a house in a storm. No, but they can sure go down. So now we are building, and through education, its main purpose is what? To build our houses. That's right, our character. All right, who else has something now that they want to share with us? Or anything you have to add? Yeah. What were they doing? Sleeping. Is there any danger that any of us could be sleeping? What is sleep anyway? It's just an unconscious state. We, it's, everybody's going to wake out of it. But what's the problem? They wake up too late. And you see, the tragedy is that the only people who don't know they're asleep are the ones that are asleep. That's one of the characteristics of sleep, you know. You know you're sleepy, and then the next thing you know what? You wake up and you've been asleep. And if Jesus said anything and, and really impressed it on the people he talked to, which is for us, of course, he said, watch lest suddenly he finds you what? Sleeping. All right, who else has something to share? I could uh, sort of liken what you're saying about sleeping. You get up in the morning and say the Lord wakes you up with some indirect method. When you get back to sleep, you're going to be too late for your day. You know? That's right. You're going to be off in the day. You'll miss devotion. You might be late for your worship or whatever. You all understand what he's talking about, don't you? Did you hear what he said? Yeah, it's all right. What's that? I say it again louder. I say when you're getting up in the morning or being woken in the morning by either by God directly or by someone other means, if you don't get up and go back to sleep, you're going to be too late to participate properly in the day activities, especially devotion. You see, days all off, and that would be the same way of sleeping with, with God since the light to you and you reject it. It's just like going back to sleep. Only you're going to be too late the next time you wake up. Here's a little statement you might be interested. This is page 966, volume 7, the commentary, 7 B.C. 966. Every warning, reproof, and entreaty in the Word of God or through His delegated messengers is a knock at the door of the heart. It is the voice of Jesus asking for entrance. With every knock unheeded, your determination to open becomes weaker and weaker. If the voice of Jesus is not heeded at once, it becomes confused in the mind with a multitude of other voices. The world's care and business engross the attention and conviction dies away. The heart becomes less impressible and lapses into a perilous unconsciousness of the shortness of time and of the great eternity beyond. We need to pray that the Lord will help us to listen to the voice of Jesus and do something about it immediately. Immediately. Because if it isn't needed at once, it becomes what? Confused with a multitude of other voices. All right, who else has something now to share? Yes. The question you're saying is, what do we do about it? All right, what do we do? As soon as I learn something, what do I do? Begin to... Now, we can't... We, what do we do? We say, Lord, you've told me to do it. Now you have to do what? You have to do it. I can't do it. Uh, let me read this statement, and I'll take, I'll take what you have to say, because I think you'd like this statement, too. This is page, page 240 of Desire of Ages, uh, 340 of Desire of Ages. If we have been following Jesus step by step, if what? We have been following Jesus step by step. We shall have something right to the point to tell concerning the way he has led us. People, are, people don't really, are not really looking for theological discussions. They want to know what the Lord means to you. Up at our restaurant in Grand Rapids when we were offering, Brother Ron Curry was in charge. Uh, some of you may have known him. You may, may have heard him in conventions. Uh, there's a man now who is now in charge of one of our units, and he, was, uh, he had been a, a minister and been, had preached for a couple denominations. And uh, uh, he, was, had, 
he had given up because of the confusion he found in the religions and because he couldn't harmonize Christianity with uh, that he saw with uh, with what he saw in the Bible he it was just confused he just gave up everything and he went into business and became a, a worldly man who was smoking and drinking his family was growing up and he was losing them and and uh, he knew something about health and so he decided to go to Lifeline Health Center in in uh, Grand Rapids and get some health foods and uh, he came in there to buy something and Ron Curry if any of you know him and his real outgoing way said well how are you brother and it just shocked him to death, you know. Who was calling him brother? He said, what do you mean, brother? <laughs> well, he said, you're my brother. He said, we all serve the same God. He's our father, isn't he? Well, you know, he went home and he just couldn't shake this off. I mean, it just it got next to it. And that's all he said. How are you, brother? And he came back and uh, then uh, a few days later and he said, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? And he said, yes. He said, well, what does Jesus Christ mean to you? Now, he wasn't interested in theology, you understand. He says, what does Jesus Christ mean to you? Is that a valid question? And so he just poured out his heart to him of what Jesus Christ meant. To and uh, so he went away, and the next time he came back, and see, he was a theologist. He'd gone to two theological seminaries, and he knew the doctrines, and he knew what Adventists teach. So the third time he came back, as I remembered, he said something like this. All right. Tell me something about Seventh-day Adventists and that old woman that calls herself a prophet. And so uh, he told him. And did you know that several people have said to Adventists that I know who are talking to them by Jesus Christ said, well, you're the first person that I ever heard mention Jesus Christ. I didn't know Adventists believe in Jesus Christ. Did you know there are a lot of people that don't know that Adventists believe in Jesus Christ? They think, well, we talk about the state of the dead and second coming of Christ and Daniel 2. They don't know. And there are a lot of people that are talking about this that don't know Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You can give a doctrine on the state of the dead without knowing Jesus Christ. But you can't tell anybody about Jesus Christ with any authority unless you know him. Did you know that? And so I, he told him just exactly what he thought and gave him desire of ages and, and, uh, and great controversy, I believe. And he came back in three or four days. He'd read both of them. And he said, I want all the books that Ellen G. White's ever written. Well, he said, that'll cost you some money. He said, no sweat. He said, I want every book she's written in the best binding. Now, this all came because somebody said, how are you, brother? You see, we don't know how many people want something, see? All right, now, uh, now back to this statement. I was just giving you an illustration. And I could tell you, I could tell you uh, many personal experiences in going to homes and trying to talk to people, and they'd say, I don't believe the Bible. What proof is there the Bible? Well, what would you say? How would you prove that the Bible was true? Huh? Well, you know, I said, well, I, said, I said, friend, I'm here because the Bible changes people's lives. I don't have to go to the Bible to prove that the Bible is true. I can't know you proven that the Bible is true. But if the Bible has done something to you, they can't ignore changes in our lives. All right, now, now back to this statement. If we have been following Jesus step by step, we shall have something right to the point to tell concerning the way he has led us. Would you like to hear the rest of it? We can tell that how we have tested his promise and, had, and found the promise true. Have you trusted the Lord? Has he done something for you? Well, tell people about it. We can bear witness to what we have known of the grace of Christ. Now listen to the last sentence. This is the witness for which our Lord calls and for one of which the world is perishing. What's the world perishing for? Lack of witness. My testimony as to what Jesus Christ has done for me. Something I'd like to share that one of my missionary contacts said to me a few weeks ago and I was in his home talking with he and his wife and I was talking about Christ and he just stopped me right in the middle of the sentence he says that's one thing I've really found with Seventh-day Adventists and I said well what because I didn't know what he was talking about he says the way that you people use the possessive in talking about Christ and God 
our God, my Lord, my Jesus, and this really impressed upon me how we should really, when we really know the Lord, how we should, when we talk about him, it's not the Lord or the God, but it is our God and our Lord. This really comes home to people that, that are looking for something something Is there a lot of difference in knowing about God and knowing God? What do you have to do to come to know anyone? You have to communicate. And look, you don't spend much time talking to a post. Do you? Why? There's no response. And some people talk to God like they talk to a post. They talk and then they get up and run. They don't wait for an answer. The Lord wants to answer us. Knowing someone is a two-way communication. Now, God speaks to us through the books, through the Bible, through the Spirit of Prophecy. He also speaks to us personally. I gave you a statement on divine guidance that on, in Desire of Age, it says, Often our hearts will burn within us as one comes nigh to commune with us as he did with Enoch. Personal communication. Without that, life doesn't mean much. Did you know that? really doesn't. You'll like this little statement. This is page uh, 215 in my book. I, page according to the index is 149. Mount of Blessing, I'm sorry. Mount of Blessing, uh, uh, page according to index 149. And this is, in, this is right in connection with uh, those who hear the words of Jesus and do them and those who don't hear them. In this statement, it is through action that character is built. Through what? Action. See, folks, let's face the fact that our bodies are a problem. A lot of people give mental assent to a lot of things. You know what I mean? They're willing to say, yes, that's right. But it's getting our body into action that's a problem. That's why God had to make his son a body to come here. He had to demonstrate Christianity in what? In the body. It was a body that sinned. It's the body that's a problem. There, there are going to be thousands and thousands of people lost who are mental Christians. Not real Christians, but you know, they give an assent to it. Didn't I read the statement to you from Desire of Ages, the greatest deception? <coughs> of the human mind in Christ's day was that a mental ascent to truth constitutes righteousness? No, it doesn't. There must be action. Now, someone else, someone hasn't said anything. Uh, I want you to share something that you've gotten personally, something we've studied that you want to, that, that has been a blessing to you because I'm trying to get us to do here what we should do all the time. Yeah. All right. One thing that still amazes me is regards to the fact that angels, one of their duties is to help man who are lower than themselves to come into a fellowship in a position with God that they themselves cannot be That's the ultimate love, isn't it? That's the ultimate love. Did you get, all get what she said? That angels are working with us who are so inferior to them to bring them to a place where they fight. They have to stand back and see us go into a relationship with Christ that they can never know. And did you ever read that, that angels' special work is those who have peculiarly disagreeable traits of character? <laughs> have you ever read that statement? Well, let's see if I can find it. Ministry of Healing, page 105. Angels are ever-present where they are most needed. What do you say? <laughs> with those who have the hardest battles to, with self to fight and whose surroundings are the most discouraging. Weak and trembling souls who have many objectionable traits of character are their special charge. <laughs> Does he like that one? <laughs> Weak and trembling souls who have many objectionable traits of character are their special charge. That doesn't pass any of us by, does it? 
that which selfish hearts would regard as humiliating service, ministering to those who are wretched in every way inferior in character is the work of the pure, sinless angels from the courts above. I was walking down the streets of Chicago one time, and right down in the slum area, right in the worst section of Chicago where all the where all of the drunks are, you know. Some of you have been in New York and maybe other places, but this was on West Madison Street, and I was walking along. I don't know how or why I was down that area, but I'll never forget this. I still remember, just like it happened yesterday. And, and I, was, I was going along, and here a little, a little boy, I guess probably three years old, came out, and he, he was the dirtiest, nastiest child I think I've ever seen. You know, his nose had been running, and I don't know if he'd ever had a bath or his clothes washed. And he came walking out toward me, and I saw he, he was going to, he was, we were going to meet, and I kind of tried to step around him, but I didn't make it there. There were drunk people around on, around on the sides, you know. You had to kind of pick where you go. And he just reached and grabbed me around the leg. <laughs> well, I looked down at him, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. And he looked up at me, and he says, Are you my daddy? Well, I... <laughs> of course, I was afraid he was going to soil my clothes. And uh, I got away from him, and I went about a, about a block, but I couldn't get him. And then the, then the Holy Spirit really smote me. And you know what I said? I said, no, no, son, I'm not your father. <laughs> and I went, as I was walking along, I said, well, now, did I do the right thing? I mean, <laughs> what should I have done? What would you do? I don't know. But I'd gone about a block, and the Holy Spirit really stuck a sword in my heart and said, look, if that little urchin had looked up to God and said, are you my father, you know what he'd have said? Yes, I'm father. There's something missing in us, isn't there really? There's something missing in us. The people that we wouldn't have anything to do with are the special object of the care of who? Sinless heavenly angels. And every person that's born into this world can claim God as their father. Yes, under. And then there's something here in Desire of Ages, for instance, on page six, Steps to Christ, page 62. Um, you have how to know whose side we are on. Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? If we are Christ, our thoughts are with Him, and our sweetest thoughts are of Him. All that we have and are is consecrated to Him. We long to bear His image, breathe His Spirit, do His will, and please Him in all things. And this this class, since since I've been here to Oak Haven, I mean, <laughs> to Howard, I've been learning so much about the principles of education and one's need to be totally surrendered to, you know, to Christ and to be connected to Christ. It's just amazing. I, I know for myself that that statement uh, in Volume 7 of Bible Commentary is true, where the, whole, where the Lord is knocking at our heart's door through a sermon or through a statement we've read, there's various ways. And by, you know, by God's grace, may we not harden our hearts, may we obey immediately and, and just give Him our, our, ourselves completely. Time is, is short, and we still have a long way to go. God's grace. We all know that the Lord is coming soon, don't we, really? There's no question in anybody's mind. I know that. And we know we have to have a certain preparation, don't we? And we know it takes time. And that's our first business. Do we all agree to all this? But we don't make it our first business, really, do we? I mean, there's so many things. And really, uh, if you want to know what kind of Christian you are, or what you are, whether you are a Christian or not, you just stop and analyze where your thoughts go when you turn them loose. Now, when we're working and doing things, you know, we, we, we direct our minds, we control them. But when we turn them loose, where do they go? Would this give us a, new, a good indication of, of, of what we are? You see, if you have a homing pigeon, and you take them out anywhere you want to, and you turn them loose, they'll go up and circle about two or three times, and then you know what they do? They head for home. And folks, we need minds like homing pigeons. That as soon as they're turned loose, what? They go to the important things. And if we're putting the important things into our minds, into our hearts, is that going to be true? You see, I, I heard the illustration one time, you know, and it's a real good illustration. You know, it's almost the same in Mount of Blessing, but it says, you know, if you step on a snake, do you know what he do? He'll bite you. Why? Because he's a snake. That's his nature. 
You can take a rose and put it down on the sidewalk and take it under your heel and just grind it down. And you know what it'll give off? What? Perfume. Why? It's a rose. It's a rose. It's a rose. And when we get in stress, we give off what's in us. Is that right or isn't it? Did you ever hear somebody say, say something that wasn't very good and they say, Oh, I'm sorry, that slipped out. <laughs> well, when you hear that, you know it came right from where they live without being... It didn't go through the censor. You understand what I'm talking about? Folks, it's got to be in us. Why did nothing ever evil come out of Jesus? Under any circumstances. There was no evil there. No matter what happened to him, what came out? Good. Now, do you think we're talking about education or not? Is this education? Folks, you, we think of that as something you go into an ivory palace to get. But you do go to the ivory palace, but you don't have to go there personally. All right, who else has something to share? You had something. Well, you were talking about that pigeon, and I just wanted to say, when you think about the motivation of why the pigeon goes home, it's to find refuge. And in the same way you can liken as we find refuge in God and His Word. Huh? Home. Well, isn't that what we're all? Isn't that what we're all wanting to do? I want to go home. I, I've had enough of this world. Haven't you had enough of it? But well, we haven't really, or, or that's why we're still here. I'm glad the Lord is going to get it so bad that it's impossible to live here. But you see, the problem may come if I don't stay with it when I have the choice to make that I may not have the incentive and the desire because sin destroys something in us. All right, who else has something to share? I want to repeat again. I, I mentioned. I don't. Well, did I tell you what? I, what we were going to study next time, or did I just think in my mind and then let it out? Two things I want you to be studying: the true sources of education, and the, and what we're to study in true education. What, what should we be studying? Are there certain things we shouldn't study? Are there certain things we should study? If we actually knew the Lord were coming in a month, would it make any difference in your next month? Would it? Why should it? How do you know you're going to be here tomorrow? If I really believe the Lord were coming this week, it shouldn't make any difference in my life, really, should it? If I shouldn't make any difference at all. You see, the real problem we all have is that we don't, we don't realize that the only day we'll ever have in this world is what? Is today. Uh, I, I have this, this uh, I cut this out of something and I, I really appreciate it. And I think maybe you'd be interested. Did you ever hear this little, this little uh, article, Two Golden Days? There are two days of the week upon, upon which and about which I never worry. Two carefree days kept sacredly free from fear and apprehension. One of these is yesterday. Yesterday with all its cares and frets, with all its pains and aches, all its faults, its mistakes and its blunders, has passed forever beyond the reach of my recall. I cannot undo an act that I wrought. I cannot unsay a word that I said yesterday. All it, it holds of my life of wrongs, regret, and sorrow is in the hands of the mighty God that can bring honey out of the rock and sweet waters out of the bitterest desert, the God of love that can make the wrong things right, that can turn weeping into laughter, that can give beauty for ashes, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the joy of the morning for the woe of the night, save for the beautiful memories, sweet and tender, that linger like perfumes of roses in the heart of the day that is gone. I have nothing to do with yesterday. It was mine, it is God's. And the other day I do not worry about is tomorrow. Tomorrow, with all its possible adversities, its burdens, its perils, its large promise and poor performance, its failures and mistakes, is as far beyond the reach of my mastery as mastery as its dead sister yesterday. It is a day it is a day of God's. Its sun will rise in roseate splendor or behind a mask of weeping clouds, but it will rise. I have no possession in that unborn day of grace. All else is in the keeping of that infinite God that holds for me the treasure of yesterday. His love is higher than the stars, wider than the skies, deeper than the seas. Tomorrow it is God's day. It will be mine. There is left for myself then but one day of the week today.
With faith and trust in the Lord, any man can fight the battles of today and any woman can carry the burdens of just one day. Oh, friend, it is only when to the burdens and cares of today carefully measured out to us by the infinite wisdom and might that gives with them the promise, as thy day, so shall thy strength be, we willfully add the burdens of those two awful eternities, yesterday and tomorrow, that we break down. It isn't the experience of today that drives men mad. It is remorse for something that happened yesterday, the dread of what tomorrow may disclose. These are God's days. Leave them with him. Therefore, I think, I do, I journey, but one day at a time. That is the easy day. That is man's day. Nay, rather, it is our day, God's and mine. And while faithfully and dutifully I run my course and work my appointed task on that day of ours, God the Almighty and the All-Loving takes care of yesterday and tomorrow. <laughs> well, I got that out of... Uh, that's I just pasted in this book. I got that. It's written by Robert Burdick. I, I cut it out of... Uh, uh, this little uh, book, a little uh, paper that comes out from Redlands, California, Tucker's, what do they call it? Huh? Echoes, yeah. But I just liked it. And we spend too much time with yesterday and tomorrow. Today is our day. If we will be converted every day. In this little, in this little book, Mount of Blessing, there's a, a chapter, if you'll read it, it's, it's called... Well, find it here in a minute. Be not anxious for the morrow. And it says plainly here, this was inspired writings, God has given us no... This is page 101, Mount of Blessing. God has given us no promise of, helping, of help today to bear the burdens of tomorrow. He said, My grace is sufficient for thee, but like the manna given in the wilderness, his grace is bestowed daily for the day's need. Like the hosts of Israel in their pilgrim life, we may find morning by morning the bread of heaven for the day's supply. One day alone is ours. What? What is? One day alone. And for this day, we are to live for God. For this one day, we are to place in the hand of Christ in solemn service all our purposes and our plans, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us. If you will seek the Lord and be converted every day, be what? Well, what does this have about education? What is education? It's synonymous with what? Redemption and life. If we will be converted, when? Every day. If you will of your own spiritual choice be free and joyous in God, if with consent, if gladsome consent of heart to his gracious call, you come wearing the yoke of Christ, the yoke of obedience and service, all your murmurings will be stilled, all your difficulties will be removed, all the perplexing problems that now confront you, you'll be solved. I was going up the hill yesterday, and I thought about that statement. I thought, well, how is that true? I, I, I think I've given my heart to the Lord, but I still have problems. There must be something wrong with what the Lord said, or there must be something wrong with me. God doesn't willfully, or just, just for the sake of doing it, punish any of us, does he? If I'm having a problem, there's something wrong with me that needs to be straightened out. And folks, as soon as that problem, as soon as that is straightened out, I'm not going to have any problems on that, as far as I'm concerned. The devil may tempt me, but as far as I'm concerned, it's settled, isn't it? It's not a problem anymore. Now, we're going to have temptations, but temptations don't have to really be problems. The Lord doesn't want us to... The Lord doesn't want to have to do all that he does to us, but he knows there's something there that needs to be changed. And uh, somebody came to me and told me, said they were, they were having a problem. Said, I'm having a problem with... And I said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, they said, well I'm having a problem with somebody. I said, oh, they bother you? And he said, yeah, they really do. I said, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> Aren't you glad the Lord brought them to you? You wouldn't have known you had the problem. And I think I mentioned it here. I hope every one of you meet everybody you can't get along with before probation closes. <laughs> well, isn't that right? I hope the Lord doesn't leave somebody I can't get along with to that I don't meet them after probation closes. Huh? Living eternal life well, no, I'm not talking about that. Uh, because before that time, I have to be what? Perfect. I have, to, I have to have all, had all the tests that, uh, that can come to me. Now, we're going to have tests after that, but no sin, see. 
And so if there's somebody that gets under your skin, thank the Lord that you're finding it out. And let the Lord either... Uh, don't ask the Lord to get rid of them. <laughs> what would you ask the Lord to do? Get rid of the problem. Get rid of what's in me that's causing the problem. We should thank God for our problems. We're finding out there's something there that needs changing. And we can praise the Lord that he's showing it to us. And I have lots to praise the Lord for. All right. We just have a little bit of time left. Now, who else? Who wants to share something? See, I said I, said I was going to try to get you to share something. Here, I've done most of the talking. I just want to say, folks, we have the destiny before us greater than that of crown kings. We have the privilege of sharing the throne of God for all eternity. We're going to be his, we are his children. We become his children here. We have something to live for. See, we can't do a lot of things that other people can do. You know why? We belong to the royal family. We just don't do those things. I know somebody else has something to share. Hasn't said a word yet. Say that you praise the Lord that he's sharing us we have a problem not being able to open ourselves up and share something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I just want to say my thinking as far as since I've been studying education, it's just, I just really feel spaced out, you know, because my whole thought process is being turned around the right way. And you just really, the closer you get to God's simple plan for things, the more helpless you feel. <laughs> all the things that ever work don't work anymore. My personality, my, just, you know, your way of dealing with that, and you, all these things don't work anymore <laughs> when you're dealing when you're doing it God's way, you know, and uh, you just really feel your helplessness the closer you get to the way he wants things done, and I, I think it's good that it works that way. The difference between true education, basically, and false education is this. False education builds you up so you get bigger and bigger. You know more and more about less and less, you know, you understand. <laughs> and true education makes you what? Less and less, and God what? More and more. And that means that I'm having less of me and more of what? More of God. And that's what it's all about. Is I think I told you, that, I think I told you, uh, maybe I mentioned this, uh, the man that Andrews, who's head of the, of the Department of Education, was out to visit us when I was in Michigan. And we had a little visit, and he said, Brother Martin, he said, I'm having a problem with... Uh, John 15, 5. You know what John 15, 5 sa says? Well, it ends up with this. Without me, you can do nothing. Now, he said if I had just said you can't do much, or you can do very little, or you can't do all you want to do, it wouldn't have been so hard. But that says without me, what? Well, what's nothing? It's nothing. But with him, we can what? I can do all things through what? Yes. My grace is what? My grace. I just tell you this little this little story. I several years ago I went to Madison College. I've I've been there a couple of times. I went I went to school there and then I taught at Madison College. And the last time I went there, I hadn't connected with it. I was out there looking around and and uh, they wanted me to come and take uh, and take uh, a work there. And so uh, I was traveling around visiting different departments. I went down to the print shop. There was a young man there and. Uh, I said to him, I said, uh, you've been here a little while. I said, what do you think of Madison College? And well, he thought a little bit, and he, he, he just didn't hesitate. He said, well, from what I can see, it's a place with uh, a wonderful past and no future. <laughs> well, I thought, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty strong statement. And I thought, boy, that's really something. 
Well, it, it turned out that he wasn't too far wrong because it, was, it wasn't very many years after that, you know, the Madison College closed up. And I thought about that, and, uh, you know, that, that always bothered me. That's a pretty rough statement, you know, something with a wonderful past and no future. And I was studying the righteousness of Christ. You know, uh, the Lord just put something into my mind, a sequel to that, and I, and I appreciate it very much because anything that bad should have a sequel, you know. And uh, it was this, that when a person really gives their heart to the Lord and has the righteousness of Christ, you become a person with no past and a wonderful future. Isn't that what it is? That's what the righteousness of Christ does. We become people with no past and a wonderful future. Because Jesus, when we accept the righteousness of Christ, it says that God looks upon us as though what? We had never sinned. As though we had never sinned. And after all, what's going to happen to all of our sins? They're going to be blotted out. Aren't you glad of that? They're going to be put in the ocean. And they say the ocean's seven miles deep some places. And of course, they're going to be put behind his back. All right, now what are we going to study next time? Sources. Study the true sources of education. Now, you do some research on this. I'm, I'm, do you folks understand that I'm trying to do just one thing? You know what that is? To get us to do what? And what? And share. That's education. Study and share. You know, the, the law of life for the universe can be, can be put in three words. Satan's law of life can be put in three words. You know what they are? The Satan's law is this. Take to keep. God's law of life, you'll find this in the book Education, I mean uh, in Desire of Ages, his law of life for the universe is take to give. Did you just say give to share? Well, it's all the same. But we have to get before we can what? Give. That's right. You can put it any way you want to. If it sounds better to you, why, that's fine. But we receive in order to what? To give. And the more we give, the more we receive. And the more we receive, the more we have to give. So we're dealing with what kind of development? Infinite development. Okay. So we'd like to pray today. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.